Hello and welcome to the True Purpose podcast. My name is Will Stewart and I'm the founder of True Purpose Enterprises. We are a collection of businesses created to empower and promote future-proof enterprise that drives both happiness and success. On this podcast, our conversations will explore what it means to lead with true purpose and why this is necessary for people, planet, and most crucially, profit. If you like inspiring stories of resilience, purpose, happiness, and biscuits, then your ears are in the right place. So this is our season finale, it's episode 12 of the recording, and what better way to close the season than with a true purpose licensing legend, Roz Nowicki. So Roz, welcome. I have your corporate bio here. So I thought for the intro, I'd just read through it. Roz Nowicki is a global brand development and licensing executive with more than 25 years of experience empowering explosive brand and business growth in the consumer product space. So that's enough. That's enough from the corp bio. Basically, she's a big fucking deal. Um, She's worked everywhere in licensing. She's seen it all and she's done it all. And if you don't know her, you should, certainly if you want to work in licensing. And if you haven't met her, you should want to meet her. But good luck battering down her barn doors because she is true purpose through and through. And there needs to be a reason about why you would engage with her today. I'm honored because she is my guest today and she's only done one podcast before. That was an internal podcast at Big Corp where her honesty got her in trouble. But here we like honesty and we like trouble. So there's no worries about that today. Roz is the epitome of a woman who can have it all. She survived family creation. She has two sons and they've only had one fight. I'd say massive success on that one. And also survived the biggest corporate powerhouse career we've had on the podcast so far. Humans that have achieved it all or have it all or who have maybe found their true purpose ambition are never really the ones shouting about it and never really the ones you hear from. But they really should be because... Those are the real inspirations for generations of people that are following in their footsteps. She says it how it is, so she's right up my alleyway. And she's a perfect season finale for our True Purpose podcast. Roz, it's an honour and a privilege to have you as a guest today. Welcome to the True Purpose podcast. Will, thank you so much for having me. This is an honour for me to be on your podcast, so let's have some fun. Amazing, amazing. Uh, Anything I missed from the intro? Any of those other corporate bits you want to chuck out there that the listeners would be needing to know? No, you were entirely too kind about my career. Clearly, I have survived a, a corporate career, climbing ladders and doing all the things you need to do in a corporate environment. And I'm in a different place today. And I know that's why we're here speaking about that, actually. So absolutely and we mustn't forget how many ladders or how many rungs on various ladders you've taken because that's what people want to hear is where you're at today but also how you got there and the things that you had to go through that you know future generations don't but the lessons that you learn to get through those situations and I think that's what's really interesting. I was really chuffed when we met through the power of LinkedIn. Hannah had always spoken so highly of you and we you know, we met up, we had a coffee, we hit it off immediately, and I knew we would. So it was sort of one of those lovely BLE meetings. In fact, my first meeting. And you'd mentored Hannah Redler, previous guest on the podcast, and Heads Up Spotlight. You know, we spent a lot of time fangirling Hannah, right? Because she is an outstanding human. 
Well, she it's a mutual admiration society, you and Hannah. So yeah. that's why I had to meet you. Yeah. She spoke so highly of you and so frequently. I was like, I have to see this guy. I have to meet him in person. That's how it works, though, socially. You know, we like to work with people who share our morals, values, those sorts of core things in humans. And so when you have that, oh, you should meet this person and that's it, and we both like that same person, chances are we're going to get on. We just met and hit it off, right? We're, we're friends now. We're besties. We're new friends. And as an adult, you don't meet new friends, do you? Because, you, you know, we encourage our kids to do it. But it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And it has led to today. And, you know, as I said, we're looking for inspiring, true purpose-led leaders. That's what we want to be promoting here. And that's what people want to hear from. So I'm really looking forward to sort of chatting through your journey today. And also how you found your purpose, ultimately, which was quite recently, and the journey that you, that you got to get there. So you know, we should start with that. You know, how, how did you find your purpose? Well, truthfully, Will, I mean, I, it, it seems almost cliched, but with time and with failures and successes, I think you eventually figure out what you need to do. And that while there's no regrets in this world, the one regret I had was not spending enough time with my family as they were growing up, my children. And so as now I have adult children, I'm actually using this time to make up for it. Probably they're appreciative of it. And sometimes I think they probably find it annoying at their age, they're 23 and 25. But during their growing up, I was traveling the world. I was building a career. I was hyper-focused on that. That's what I thought my purpose was. And I think a lot of people that came up through the 80s and 90s and coming out of college or university, as you call it there, that was what you did. You just immediately went into the workforce. Then if you had family, lucky you. And how do you figure that all out? Trying to have it all sometimes is very challenging and to try to balance it all. And I was just very lucky because I had a husband that decided that he could take that back seat and really actually in the front seat and take care of the kids while I did this. Most people don't have that luxury. They're working families, trying to raise kids, trying to build a career. And there's things that get left to the side. And it's very sad. And now I look back and I say, you know, that was really difficult. I, I loved growing my career, but I missed out on some things that were incredibly valuable now when I look back on it. And so I guess that's one of the reasons true purpose came to mind now, because you you have that knowledge and you have that realization that you could have, what would you have done differently? And, and you can't turn back the clock, but what you can do, you're in the present and you can work towards the future. Very, very much so. And it's fascinating that you went through that whole journey and, and an opportunity, really, because obviously, traditionally in human societies, you know, mums and, you know, if you're going to have a family, the female would generally pick up most of the child care thing. It's still like that now. And it's incredible. I love the fact that, you know, your partner in life was prepared to let you go and do those things and chose a different path as most dads would have done in that time. So it gave you that opportunity to hit this career. Now, the career has been hugely successful. I ask people about you everyone knows you and you know you have a very good reputation everyone has the right opinions of you in terms of what you have achieved and changed and the people you have influenced over that time so the career's been really successful do you feel where what are your regrets in terms of those 
child and family moments. Do you feel you missed out on those things then? Oh, certainly. I mean, back in the day, it was Skype, right? So I call my kid. Well, first it was phone calls because, um, you know, with a 25 year old, I would pick up the phone and call them from the middle of the night in Japan asking to speak to them. And I often got the, I'll speak to mom when she gets home, kind of the attitude of a six-year-old that's all too honest. And I think looking back on that, those are the regrets, I think, is I did miss a couple birthdays. I was in Hong Kong or I was somewhere else. And, uh, you know, the phone doesn't work for that. We talk about remote work. You can't be a remote parent. And I think that's something that I regret is trying to balance it more. And I really thought I was. The excellent part about everything was, is that my husband, despite getting a little bit of grief from a lot of the guys he knew about being a stay at home dad with the kids, the hardest job, by the way. And I used to always remind the men that would give him a little shit for being that guy. But uh, I admire him for that bravery and for doing something that most men weren't doing in the nineties. It's very common now. So I guess my biggest regret is thinking I was balancing, but I wasn't and really taking that time some time with my family. And of course there's career regrets here and there, but as you get older, you're retrospective and say, all those missteps, oh, that career move, that job didn't work out. Oh, I, I said something I shouldn't have. At the end of the day, I'm where I am today. And all of those steps take you there, good or bad. So you have to accept it and go with it and then move forward positively and just say, you know, I can't have these regrets. I mean, certainly learn from what you did wrong, learn from the positives, learn from the negatives, but move forward, get over it. Yeah. Are they, are they really regrets? They're choices you made at a time. And it, remember the environment, you know, you've worked for very big companies that wouldn't have had very many senior female members. And a lot of them still don't amazingly, but different time as you say the technology wasn't there you weren't facetiming in every five minutes and also you were having to follow a system that was keep work and family apart you know if you want to be successful here you're not rushing off to take a kid to the dentist or anything you know there is rules you didn't admit it if you were Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, think because of that. it was judgment time for females that had families. Yeah. I even had a female executive tell me once that if you really want to grow in this company, and I'll say no names or no companies, you really should reconsider if you're going to have children or not. That's ridiculous. that this coming from a woman. And the truth is, is that you hesitated to admit, oh, I want to go to my son's football game, or I want to go to a soccer game or whatever. And I think Sadly, it's still that way in a lot of ways. I think women are often put into that situation where they think they put family first and that means they can't be a good employee. Yeah. And which is incredibly wrong as we both know. It's the guilt element that I think, you know, mothers feel a lot more in that you're always failing at something. So you're either doing well at parenting and failing at work or vice versa. So there's never a time of, success on both fronts and that's why society the world press whatever are still trying to push this women can't have it all and when Jacinda Ahern the New Zealand prime minister right and she quit and the headline was the most ridiculous proof that women can't have it all you've got to choose a career or family and it's strange growing up as you know very vanilla margarita type of human white male all those sorts of things 
the amount of challenges you know I do not get that half the population on the planet get and it's judgment it's judgment so if you're at work and you're you're a mother why aren't you looking after the kids and if you're at home looking after the kids why aren't you working you know there's so much judgment put on mothers females whatever that men a lot of men don't even understand one person who would understand is is your other half because he really was a trailblazer and someone that was prepared to take the ribbing stay at home dad it's the same as it's a it's a negative connotation that should be a positive and today exactly we're a lot better and hopefully when my daughter is in the workplace it will be even better and that's the point of this it's sharing the stories of, of growth and change it is changing it is a lot better now than when you know you had yours back in the day no exactly so you've worked everywhere in licensing that's what i found so fascinating mattel universal disney 20th century fox there is such a, a width of experience in senior leadership roles and really the powerhouses of our industry you know it's growing massive industry do you think any of those businesses were focused on purpose at, at any point or do you think purpose is something that they're focusing on now and something you can help influence? I certainly think that they want to have a purpose. You know, they want to have that direction. They want to talk about purpose, whether when I was there, I think that was less important in certain ways. They didn't really focus on that. I think when you're a publicly held company, there's this incredible sense of you're trying to be purposeful but you also have to be profitable. And some of the things you talk about here in your podcast is they're fighting two different things oftentimes and trying to find that intersection of purpose and profit is I think something that most companies have not figured out yet. And the ones that did lead so much with purpose on the profit side, they've been failing. And on the ones that are profitable, they fail in purpose. And uh, with all the companies I've worked for and certainly ones that I observe now from the outside looking in, I think everyone's struggling with that because it is such an important thing to have a purpose and figure out, is that in your mission statement? Is that part of how we direct ourselves? Is that part of our financial goals? If it means spending money and we're less profitable to do this, our shareholders are going to you know, take us to, you know, to the stakes, right? So to answer your question with the shortest thing, no, I don't think they've figured that out yet. I've seen it with private companies and public companies, but mainly public. You're living quarter to quarter. You report to Wall Street or wherever you're reporting to, and you are thrown on the stake if you fail to meet those profitability guidelines. And so it doesn't matter if you did something purposeful because the shareholders aren't buying into that. You've got to get everybody on the same page if you're going to be a purpose-driven company that, oh, by and we're also profitable. Yeah. Yeah, and the two can coexist and in the future will be vital. The purposeful element of any big business will be vital for their profit because humanity is changing, generations are changing, and the best talent wants purpose as a key part of why they are joining the business as much as their own and the remuneration. Right, and consumers are looking to companies that are purposeful too. So that is, I see it changing, but we're just not there yet. And also not, it's not easy in these massive corporations because they're so big. And on the Articles of Association for that business, it says make profit. 
make profit for your shareholders. It doesn't say plant some trees and feel happy. And maybe that's part of the problem was two parts. One is purpose isn't about planting trees and spending money. It's about standing for something that's greater than just making profit. And in the future, businesses will believe that doing the purposeful thing, doing the right thing will lead to future profit, assuming, you know, the CEO and the board are still in place because they haven't dropped too many profits in the short term, right? It's a really, really tricky one. And I think, again, understanding purpose and going on this journey is a 20, 30 year journey is not going to be fixed overnight. And the pressures at the moment in a recession, in a cost of living crisis, all the challenges that we've got, purpose can get lost a bit, which is why when you break it down from was the company purposeful versus are you purposeful? What did you do within your power that was purpose driven? You know, what what did you do as a leader and a, a manager? Well, I think definitely as a leader and in the last few roles I've had, I've taken such great pleasure in being, uh, has become this thing as a servant leader. But I truly believe that was my role. I see a lot of people in my team, females, males, both struggling with what I did, whether it was juggling things, whether it was trying to figure out what the right approach is in a certain meeting. And I think that what I found my purpose was within a perhaps conflicted company that wasn't realizing their purpose, but my way of doing that was to lead my team and to be an accessible leader that cleared roadblocks and allowed them to be successful and also keep my door open to be so accessible that it wasn't an intimidation kind of thing. Because in the 80s and 90s, I feel like the easiest way to lead is for people to fear you. And I had a lot of people I worked for that kind of played that card. And it's a lot easier to be a little bit gruff and hard to approach because you don't have to deal with anything because they're too scared to talk to you. And I even had a boss tell me, they're like, well, I don't love your management style. I mean, you're kind of like with your team and you're friendly and you try to adjust your style with everybody that reports to you and you get your results, but you're doing it and it's harder for you. It's easier if you are just more of the boss and, and more fearful. I actually had someone say that to me, same person that told me that I probably shouldn't have kids and worry about the corporate ladder. So, you know, it's interesting because I think that that's why I have such a great relationship with my teams, because I really do find myself accessible and I, they understand that I'm there for them. I've got their back. I'm not going to abandon them in a tough fight if they mess up. I'm not going to just throw them under the bus. I'm going to own it. I'm going to be a grown-up leader and take the responsibility for them. And then we'll have a conversation separately. And I have such respect for them that, you know, I have these, these very honest, open conversations and they know I'm there for them. Uh, something that I learned growing up in the organizations I've been in, that's the exact way I wanted to be. I didn't want to be like some of the people I actually reported to. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Being an inspirational leader, a vulnerable leader, an open leader, someone that's different. The reason your team or all the people that work for you love you and probably respect you more is because of the leadership style you chose. People remember how you made them feel. And if they felt safe and they felt supported in your teams, they will walk over hot coals for you. And that's the job of leadership. So, you know, it's fascinating. You mentioned there about that's what you wanted to be. 
that type of leader, but you had most of your career not seeing that leadership style. So let's go back to maybe people or influences that made you think that was the type of leader you wanted to be. Was there someone that was like that, that you went, oh, I, I like that, or I don't like that? Or how did that form? You know, it's really interesting. So many of the leaders I've had were the opposite of what I wanted to be. And I learned from that being honest. And I'm probably, this is why I get in trouble in podcasts because they're people I work for all going to be, if they listen to this go, was that me? (laughs) But um, yes, maybe it was. But I think that my example was really through my parents and growing up. I, I had to put a different face on when I started in corporate world, right? I, I couldn't come to work and be authentic. Also, as a young person getting started, you had to put on a whole facade. So it was frustrating to me to learn all of this and be an observer of what I felt were were not positive role models. And I had a few. I had a few. I had Paul Pressler at Disney that I was one of those quintessential guys, with, which some of the old people listening to this will know who that person is. And there were definitely the glimmers of that. And I saw and I said, I want to be the person that they like, but... I need to be the person they respect because that's the key. And I think that's the fear is that when a a leader tries to take this gruff, really kind of almost too powerful approach, I feel like it's almost like an imposter syndrome kind of protection mechanism because I saw it and I still see it today. And I'm not going to name names again, but I will tell you the amount of time trying to manage up or deal with political BS in companies is counterproductive to moving the ball forward and creating results and value. Yeah, And that's what I find frustrating. So for me, I found my purpose in the only thing I can do within a culture that maybe I can't change is to at least control the controllables and work with my team and make them as successful as I can within a framework that is actually given to me. Yeah, it's... A big theme that we picked up on and the difference of if you're working for a business that's very purposeful or you're working for a business that isn't maybe as far on the purpose journey. At the end of the day, if you're a manager of anyone, just one person, you can influence that person and make that you make that role more purposeful as a leader. It's as simple as you know, the fact that in the old days, Someone wouldn't say, I'm going to go. They would lie. They would have to lie. I'm not going to a football match. I have got a cold. That sort of behavior and the amount of effort emotionally and mentally to manage that, where it is all a waste of time. As you were saying, the managing up. It's easier to tell the truth, right? (laughs) It is, but it gets you burnt and it can cause problems in the right environment. But then you need to think, well, where's my tribe? And also as a leader, you see leaders or managers in the early part of your career that are managing up very well and aren't particularly liked. And then you have other managers that are loved, but aren't particularly liked from above. And for me, I just always gravitated towards the people that were looking after me. And I didn't know what to expect in the workplace. If you had this great role model situation at home and what life was about and all the qualities and what you should be looking for. Were you surprised when you went into work and realized that you weren't going to be authentic? You weren't going to be yourself. You were going to mask up and be be this corporate player just to get on? I, I, you know, coming out of college, I think you have this altruistic thing and you're going to come and take over the world and you walk into a place and you immediately have to really just 
put away some of that because my nature is honesty. I, my dad was an Iowa farm boy, one of 11 kids. My mom, that was just not an option was lying. You were very truthful, honest, came from very solid roots and walking into a corporate environment. But you know what? You're looking at the 80s at this point. And that was just, especially here in America, I can't speak to what was going on for you, but it was just the way it was. It was very capitalistic and you go in there and you kick ass and you grow and you you build your career. And that was just, that was what you did back then. There was no option. And so you had to fight the fight and you had to go in there and put the mask on and put your self aside. And, and it's exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting, but that was the way everybody did it. So we all just kind of fell in lockstep, did what we were supposed to do, but you get to a point and, you know, at a certain age, we won't be talking about that, but you know, you finally say, you know what, that's exhausting. I can't do this anymore. And you have a confidence age built, gives you that confidence. Age gives you that ability to be a little less restrained and a little more you because you have built that career and you do have the credibility and you have shown that you're successful and it gives you an empowerment that you didn't have in your twenties, thirties, or forties. And so that's something it's, it's kind of a freedom I have now. And it's very, um, it's exhilarating. It's exhilarating. That's why I want to share it. Yeah. And it's what you've earned. So maybe we talk about sacrifice. Maybe you missed some birthdays when they were young and you went all in on the, on the career. But it's then earned because of all the effort and the hardships and fighting the system. You've got to a place where, you know, you are confident enough to push back and be yourself a bit more and then earn to a position where now you can actually spend much better time than most parents could of 22, 23, you know, that, that sort of age kid. You get the privilege of now spending the time with them which most people don't because they're still slogging it going forward following the system or whatever so yeah how how do you value time with your family or your kids specifically everyone i think at the end of their days will be saying i wish i'd spent as much time as possible but the reality is most of us don't spend huge amounts of time you've got to choose it when you can get it and it's probably a lot it's a lot of fun when they're adults you know i don't know yet but and it must be a lot of fun. It must be very valuing or valuable now to see them doing what they're doing and being in that adult world alongside you versus, you know, you trying to protect them from the horrors of the reality of the world. Right. In some ways, it's actually more necessary for me to be with them now. I think as they always joke about it, but the, the bigger the kid, the bigger the problems and not that there's problems, but I'm saying that I think sometimes their situations or the advice they need from a friend slash mom are different now. And they're more respectful that, you know, I might actually know what I'm talking about because as they grow up and they're teenagers, you're not, you know, parents are dumb. You don't know what you're talking about. They won't listen to you. They have this stubbornness about them and they're still maturing. And now, you know, in their mid twenties, they're more respectful of what I've done. They understand the sacrifices that were made. They know that I feel guilty about it. They try to make me feel better about my guilt and we hang out together. So we're buddies and I'm still there to provide them hopefully guidance, although they probably would prefer me to just stay being a buddy. But every stage of your child's growing up is such a cherished thing. And just because you miss one, yeah, I'm making up for it now. And I do. I have these cool 
guys that I get to hang out with sometimes and we do things together, whether it's skiing or hiking. So, so I take great pleasure in that. Maybe it's not, I can't say making up for lost time, but it's certainly a valuable part of my life now is having my adult children with me and hanging with me. It's as valuable as the time when they were little. There's not one or the other. You just, you're, you are catching up on time, but if you added it all up at the end of our days, how much time did you spend? You'd have spent as much time with them as most parents just you did it a different way around disruptive approach i'm just glad they want to hang out with me because when i was growing up the generation gap was so different that as much as i loved my parents i didn't want to hang out with them right no (laughs) but now same music we even go to concerts together it's just a very different thing from children of the 60s and 70s with their parents that grew up during world war ii as an example and then you have today where we still are listening to some of the same music. When my kids tell me that they love David Bowie, I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, you're out of the Kanye and Two Chains period. We're also we're talking about the same stuff. It's all good. Will they listen to this podcast? Do you think? Um, I'll forward it to them and see if they do. Hopefully, <laughs> they will. That's not the question. I think it'd be really good for them to see you in context as a professional because that's what you want to see. Most kids grow up wanting to make their parents proud, right? And I think with careers, it's difficult, certainly if you're one or both of your parents has had this great career. But it's about understanding that there is a huge amount of wisdom and knowledge and experience and perspective that is in your head. And the more they hang out with you, the more they get out of it, right? And they should see what you have achieved as really valuable as a career mentor. You know, it's difficult when it's your kids, but you care more for them than anyone else you've mentored, right? Oh, completely. And I think they have started seeing that and they've seen some of the career things, certainly. And just last night, my son asked me to help him a little bit with his resume. He took some of my comments and then the other ones he threw out and stubborn. And, and, and you know, of course, I look at him and I go, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. That's what he got from me was that he'll take some of it and he listens, but he also has his own thinking. And I I love that about him, that he's his own person. This is my older son and my younger son too. Yeah. That's what you, you know, independent thinking, take the advice, make your own call, right? The advice is there whether you want it or not. So today you found this wonderful time in life where you can choose how to spend your time, which is a real privilege to get to in life. What is it about now? You, You go in and help people out in businesses at times, you mentor people, you get involved in things and you're on boards and non-exec you know what is it now that you're wanting to give to the world as it were well I often tell people it's like I toiled in this business although it says 25 plus years you know how resume writers don't want you to say the full amount it's really like 35 but let's be honest here and it's kind of it really is the culmination of all that and understanding what it's like to be an operator but the value I can bring to a company that actually needs all of that 35 years, because oftentimes when you're in a company, I often don't think they want your 35 years, but at the end of the day, if it's contrary to what their direction is, or they don't want to hear it, I often feel like your opinions are tossed out. But when you're working as an advisor, which I am on an advisory board, I was recently on a a for-profit board that we sold the company. They bring you in because they want to hear what you have to say. You actually have a platform. You can 
add value. And it's much more open because you're there for that reason, that reason alone. And I think it gives me some of that freedom. Working on the Licensing International Board's been great. I'm the fundraising chairman. It's a thankless job sometimes, but it's a passionate job of mine because it raises money for the scholarship fund. So even though I served my time on the board, I got to meet people like Hannah on your team. I still mentor people. They never get rid of me. I said, yeah, you only had a mentorship for a year, but I'm still with you. I still talk to companies or presidents of companies that I've mentored. Like when I was on the board of a company we recently sold, I continue to talk to that president of that company. I continue to be a part of her life because I was brought in. One of the key reasons was because of executive leadership and mentoring. And it's something I take such joy in is to support people. I've been there, done that. They can't tell me anything. I can't at least give them some kind of context and some kind of advice to try to handle. There's very few things I haven't handled. So I, I'm in a great place now because I can leverage all that 35 years, give back, I'm also working on strategies and things like the specialties I have. I'm leaning into exactly what I know and I'm comfortable with and people want to hear about it and they want me to be a part of it. And I think if there's something about it that's different than being within a company and having all the other ancillary stuff that goes along with the leadership role in a company, you can really focus on doing stuff and getting shit done. And that's something that makes me happy. And so, yeah, I'm in an enviable place right now because I'm able to do that. Yeah. All of the things you do now, they are paying you to be honest. And you have a lot of honest, direct opinion. So that's what you have strived for all your life. In a big corporate, they're paying you to just not really be honest, just to toe the line, not to give too disruptive opinions about things because there's a system and a structure. And maybe that's the summary of why you have this contentness now in that any role you take on, whatever, in any of those capacities, A, it's a passion project, so you, you know, you're going to get involved because you like it. B, they're paying you to be honest. And C, you get to choose who you work with. You get to choose where you spend your time. Are those people going to be appreciative of you being honest and they're going to accept that? then that's going to be something for you. That makes you happy, gives you meaningful work. And you don't have to face the years and years of playing along and masking up. And that's the difference. First thing you said when you got into, into your career, you realized I'm not going to be able to be my authentic self. And then all these years later, you've ended up being your authentic self. And hey, what? Everyone loves it. And it's because of the graft you put in to establish yourself so people respect it well, you know, look at what she's achieved. Okay, we'll accept her authenticity now. It's it's really fascinating. And I think finding really good, powerful, have done it all, female leaders particularly, is a real passion of mine because there aren't, there aren't many that, you know, certainly would, as I said in the intro, shout about it a lot, you know, certainly socially. And there's too many really negative female role models for young girls today there's not enough voices in that sort of entrepreneur professional services type world you know people to follow that there's so many on the male side that you can follow a path to some degree trying to find and highlight 
professional female leaders who certainly had a family and done that side as well and they've still got it all that's really important it's a big part of why we do this podcast and it, it does all tie down to purpose ultimately does purpose make you happy oh it certainly does i mean every time i'm on the phone with one of my advisory roles or you know with the board seats and everything and i feel like i have an opportunity to state, you know, use my experience and talk about things. And they give me that platform and they give me the level of respect after the 35 years of kind of climbing that ladder and and trying to, I always tried to be true to myself, even though I did have to play that role. If that makes any sense, it is a internal kind of conundrum you have as you're sitting there and you're like, well, I have to, I have to be quiet. I don't agree but I'm, this isn't the time or place. And as you grow up and you learn, you know when the time and place are. And then at some point you flip complete and you go, I don't care. I'm just going to say what's on my mind. And if they like it, great. And if they don't, oh, well. So it's a very interesting road when you think of a path of 30, 35 years and see kind of that change over. It was where you're, you're like looking back in your 20s, you go, oh, now I can do what I always wanted to do. I can say what's on my mind. And people are going to respect that because I actually have I've driven that road. I have toiled on that road. I have seen the discrimination that I encountered as a female, the level of uh, sexual discrimination that was, that was prevalent in the 80s that now people would be horrified by, right? The age discrimination. Oh, you're just a kid. Then there's the, oh, she's in her, you know, let's just be kind and say 50s. And she probably doesn't even know what a digital passport is, making this up, you know? And so there's discrimination everywhere, female, male, old, young. And it's kind of interesting. And I think people just need to be open that everybody has something to give, young or old, which is the other reason why I love to mentor younger people. Because sometimes their voice, they're like sitting there going, I have something to say. And it's like, of course you do. You have valuable things to say. People need to listen to you just like they need to listen to people in their 50s and 60s. Everybody's got something to give. Every, every opinion matters and everyone has one. Would you advise young people then to be more honest and open in the workplace today? You know, that's a great question, Will, because I'm kind of in this mode of, I also don't want somebody to commit political suicide, you know, because sadly, when you are in those companies and we won't name them, but there's big, large companies that have very big cultural, like their cultural vacuum and that they're in and of themselves. There are a series of, you know, everyone has to fall into lockstep to answer. That's a tough question. That's a good one. Um, I would tell them, I think they have to be true to themselves, but they also have to know when to say things and when not, because I do have to say that sometimes the young and you can call us impetuous when we were young, but I think sometimes you have to just know when to just zip it is what we say here in the U.S. and keep it quiet and take it to yourself and maybe find that ally, find that executive that you on the side say, you know, I was thinking this in the meeting, but I wanted to get, you know, I hopefully they'll have that opportunity. So yeah, I think they really do need to not just be completely unabashed. They haven't earned it yet. Sadly, that's the truth. And they need to earn that level of respect, they need to show that they've been through all of that. And then they'll get that respect or that listening from a higher level executive. But I would say they really just have to really be true to themselves, but also know when and when not to and really kind of read the room. 
because I've seen it before. And, and as a young person making those kinds of mistakes, because you're not going to get away from that discrimination from the older executive that think, no, you're 22. You have no idea, right? 23, 24, whatever. So be true to yourself. Agreed. Learn when to speak and when not. And also probably very valuable is find those leaders. This, the leadership population of businesses today is better than it's ever been in terms of people that are more purpose-led, think about the humans more than just the profit. There will always be in every division, in every company, that leader. And that's the reach out that you need to do. You know, If you're being true to yourself and you see a role model of someone you like, someone said something in a meeting, go and approach those people because they're the people that are likely to respond. And give you that advice and teach you the bit in the middle, which is know when to shut up and when to speak out, right? Right, because you're still true to yourself if you just stay quiet a little bit. And then on the side, you can be more influential by showing that you also have that level of understanding of reading that room and understanding when it's appropriate, when it's not to comment, and then seeking out that one or two people in the room that you feel like you can glom onto and ask them to be a mentor to you. I think that that's what I've had so much respect for. I was in certain organizations and I actually had someone that just called me and said, can I have like, I just want to have 15 minutes with you. And by the end of that, I had become a mentor and they had asked me that. And it was so flattering because here you, you, you know, you've grown in your career and you don't realize it. And all of a sudden you're the mature adult that is now a mentor when you were the one seeking that mentorship as a young person. And there's nothing more flattering than somebody actually reaching out and wanting you to be their mentor. And I love it. You, you get as much out of being a mentor as the mentee does. And I think most people who've done mentorship have realized, how do you stop having like thousands of people? Because I imagine lots of people want to go, hey, do you want to be my mentor? You know, how do you control that on your side? I know I've had to be a little bit like, I guess, not, I don't want to call it choosy because it's certainly, I think everybody deserves a really great mentor. But yeah, I've had to say that if someone comes to me and I already have two or three, and then of course I told you, I never lose mentees. So I have people that have worked for me 20 years ago that I still tend to mentor, right? So I say, I want to dedicate time. I take the job of being a mentor seriously and I want to make sure I have the proper time for you. Let's talk about this in six months or suggest a colleague that might be a very good mentor for them and hopefully guide them in that right direction because I do take it seriously. I don't want to be one of those that is a mentor name and just not available when they actually need really somebody to guide them with a very challenging situation at work or something. So I I would love to have more, but I only have so many hours in the day. It's, a, it's also respecting your own time. I hope there's not loads of people after hearing this then contact you and say, hey, be my mentor. Because then you're going to have to be lots of uh, lots of difficult choices. But respecting your own time, you know, you can't give your whole life to mentoring. You have a lot of other things on, but you you know, it's certainly addictive mentoring, and it is very very rewarding. No, it's it's completely great. Yeah, and I still I still have to work. I'm not like I enjoy it. It's like something that it's balancing all of that, whether it's the advisory and the. I really try to look at my time as like I'm a I'm a human pie chart. And so I know how much I can give and how much I can't give. And I've really looked at that from a very almost 
very weirdly mathematical approaches to understanding if I'm advising this company, this is a certain amount of time. This is the time I'm allocating overall. You know, I also try to budget time for me. I want to ski. I want to hike. And I think everybody should look at themselves and say, what is your total amount of time and what are you budgeting for that? And really look at it that way. And I know it sounds so clinical and so formulaic, but it's healthy to do that exercise because if you're overextending yourself, you're going to see that in that exercise of understanding that and make sure you've budgeted the time for you. Because if you don't take care of you, you are going to be a mess if you're in the corporate world or if you're in the business world if you aren't taking care of you first. Put on your own life jacket before helping other people. And also time is more valuable than money. It's very simple. And, you know, when you look back about where you spend your time or time that you wasted, time that's wasted on internal political stuff in big businesses, what a waste of time. And you can't get time back and you can't buy more of it. So it is the key currency that we live by. So anyway, you've done brilliantly so far, but we have this difficult question at the end, which uh, is going to stump you. So what is your favorite biscuit and why? I will tell you from a flavor perspective and from an emotional perspective, my favorite biscuit is Girl Scout cookie thin mints. Wow. Do you know this? Okay. Hang on a minute. The thin mint, this is not, this isn't a biscuit. This isn't. It's a cookie. And us Americans call it a cookie, so I think that's fair. <laughs> We've, we have had an American guest on, and they chose a home-baked cookie, the traditional. Talk me through the thin thin mint then. Now, okay, the, the Girl Scouts of America is yeah. an organization for little girls that they join as what they call at the beginning brownies. So those who yeah. are listening to this podcast yeah. may or may not know. And it's a great little girls organization, and... Most of when I was a kid, it teaches you more domesticated things, but there is camping and there are other things that they reward you on and you get these badges. And so it's an organization you grow up through. But one of the key things when you become a Girl Scout, which is the age above a brownie, and I was one, so I get it, is you sell Girl Scout cookies to raise money. And the Girl Scout cookies are made by a cookie company, but you're selling them for profit not profit, but you're taking that profit and that's a fundraising thing with the Girl Scouts of America. So talk me through the actual eating. So it's a cookie with... It's like an Oreo almost, but with mint center and it's dipped in chocolate. Think about that for a minute, Will. That is ridiculous. And it is probably one of the most fond memories I have as a Girl Scout is running around selling those damn cookies to my neighbors with a wagon toting these cookies around because that's what you did when you're growing up here in the United States as a little girl, you were either you were campfire girl or there were brownies here. And then they became Girl Scouts and then so on and so forth, just like Boy Scouts or something. I don't know what you have there similar, but that was how we, that was the primary fundraising part of our role was running around selling cookies. It sounds an amazing biscuit stroke cookie that I've, I haven't ever come across. I've never tried, and now I'm determined to. And I think it's a pretty solid choice here, right? Chocolate's a key element of any high-scoring biscuit. Is it dunkable? What happens if you stick it in a cup of tea? I, do n- I have never done that. Okay, Will, I'm going to make a promise to you. Number one, when I come back to the UK or you come here, I'm going to make sure you get some Thin Mints. 
I will try dunking. They're seasonal, which is really interesting. So the Girl Scouts have a, have a, there's a three month window where they have this time where they sell. And it's also a competition. So not only is it a fundraiser, but it's a competition between Girl Scout troops, which are all across the nation to whoever sells the most and there's rewards associated with it. So it teaches a lot of different things like walking up to a door and trying to sell a cookie. I got to tell you, I think my Girl Scout training really put me in a good place for getting into licensing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just selling, selling anything. Sales skills are one of those things that to, to get through life, you're going to do it. And you know, selling something is quite so yummy as what you've described. I'm really intrigued. I'll be Googling this afterwards. You will and if have you don't to bring check it out. Over when I next see you, there's going to be problems. But look, we're at the end. It's been fascinating. And I just want to say like a massive, massive thank you for joining us today. It's really fascinating because of the career and the companies that you've worked at, this position between, you know, company purpose and personal purpose and how you can make an influence in whatever role you're doing, whatever you're doing, because that's the behavior we want to encourage. So thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Amazing. At the True Purpose podcast, we are building a community of purpose-led leaders We want to be part of the revolution to a true purpose-led economy. And we want to inspire every professional to think more purposely in their role, whether that's a big role, a smaller role, you know, there is inspiration everywhere. To the humans that listen to our podcast, thank you. You are helping build a more purposely business future. We love hearing your feedback and reviews do make a huge difference. It's going to take us years, maybe decades to get there, but change is happening. Thank you.